Welcome to the Faculty Podcast, brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., part of a 50-plus year endeavor to prepare pastors and other church leaders in a biblically and confessionally faithful way for the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I am the president and associate professor of Old Testament at RTS Washington, and I'm joined today by Dr. Peter Lee, associate professor of Old Testament and dean of students at RTS. How you doing, Peter? Hi, Scott. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Uh, also joining us is Dr. Tommy Keene, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Academic Dean at RTS. Hi, Tommy. Hi, great to be here. Great to have you. And also Dr. Paul Jean, Lecturer in New Testament at RTS. Hi, Paul. Hi, Scott. It's good to be here with you all. We're talking this afternoon at the time of this recording. Um, in the, the second week now of on-site class closure at RTS, it's been in the middle of about the fourth month uh, since the early December uh, 1st um, diagnoses of the coronavirus. So we're kind of in the midst of social distancing and quarantining, uh, not only for us and our families, for the faculty and the staff at RTS, but of course for everybody in the Washington DC area, including our student body. And so everyone is thinking about how do we um, be Christians? How do we pursue the ministry of the gospel in this very unique time of uncertainty and, uh, and doubt and even uh, a good bit of anxiety? Um, before we get to that, what I'd like to do is just start off with a little bit of um, introduction and catch up on how everyone's doing. And I'd love to start with you, Peter. How is the Lee clan holding up here in the second week of uh, social distancing? Uh, yeah, thanks, Scott. The, uh, the, my family here, we're doing okay. We're, I think, in, in a situation with a lot of people in some regard in terms of adjusting to uh, a lot of this new uh, online form of education, especially with um, uh, the younger kids, uh, you know, two of my oldest sons are public school teachers, so they're still trying to figure out wow. how they're going to do school uh, here in Maryland. Um, they just recently, you know, uh, announced that schools are going to be closed till somewhere around the end of April. Um, uh, I think they're still just trying to figure out what to do and trying to salvage whatever they can for this year. So. So they're making adjustments and, and things like, uh, a little bit of things like that. Uh, you know, thankfully my family really loved to hang out with each other. Um, and uh, this uh, quarantining has in many ways just allowed for them to do what they love to do. That is just spend time together and uh, uh, play games, um, uh, eat together and, and things like that. So in that sense, it's been, uh, it's been pretty good. The, they haven't, they're not after each other yet. Uh, they're still getting along pretty well. Yeah, that's a big yet too. Our family's still trying to figure out what is this going to look like if we're still up to this in two or three weeks. Um, yeah, two, yeah you can ask me that again two right. weeks from now, then we'll see. Yeah, we notice our teenagers still think this is like an extended spring break. Um, and I don't know if they, if they know what is in store for them uh, in, in the weeks and month ahead. Dr. Tommy Keene, how are you guys doing over there in the Keene household? Yeah, we're uh, we're doing well. I mean, the the biggest change for us is uh, our living room has now become a bit of a dance studio. Our our, our kids' dance class is also 
doing doing Zoom meetings. And if you've never seen a dance class by Zoom, then you haven't lived. Uh, so we've got <laughs> we've got the whole living room kind of dedicated to to that, and and then continuing on with um, school, like uh, like Dr. Lee's family, we're big into. To board games and I'm not sure what the current tally for uh, victories in Ticket to Ride is but I like to assume that I've had the most victories uh, <laughs> but there is a scorecard there is a score sheet being being kept so, so we're, we're doing our best uh, trying to to love our neighbors and um, and, and use the time uh, similarly to, to, to Peter use the time to uh, enjoy each other and, and enjoy family life and, and family time. Right. Now who is, so in your family, who is the, um, all jesting aside, who's the one who keeps the score? Who's the one who's most concerned with the totals? Yeah. Yeah. That is, a, that is a very good question. Uh, all, all, everybody, but me. <laughs> You're just going to let it go. You're a man of grace, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, what, what Matt, how many times you've lost doesn't really matter. That's right. That's right. That'll give you an indication of who loses most, also. But uh... <laughs> Doctor Jean, how's the Jean family holding up? The Jean family is doing okay. We uh, pro probably err on underreacting in these situations. You know, my wife works at um, the ER as a nurse. And so you know, she, she's sort of at the front line, but for some reason it hasn't really affected her or me. We um, have not had much of an adjustment in terms of school closures. That's not because we homeschool, but uh, we have a, you might say a kind of appreciative outlook on public schools. What I mean by that is we appreciate the fact that our children can go and interact with students that are very different, but we've actually never looked to public schools as our primary uh, venue for education. And so school closures haven't really affected us on the level of like education per se, but our kids, I think, do miss their friends. Um, and like all of you have sort of suggested, I think the reality hasn't hit them yet. So they sort of treat this as spring break or kind of um, extended break from school. But um, I think they're going to begin to miss school. Outside of that, things have been uh, quiet at our household. So we're thankful for that. That's great. Yeah, my kids are outside playing volleyball right now, actually. You've got a great yard for social quarantining, Dr. Lee. It's a big public yard you know, for people to gather out and it's right in the front. So a uh, good place for the kids to play. We, um, we noticed that our kids deal with it in different ways. The, the extroverts like our eight year old are bouncing off the walls. She's, she's actually conducting her own dancing lessons via zoom. Tommy, if your daughters are interested, um, uh, I'd stick with the professionals though. And, uh, but there's also, you know, the introverts, we were joking, you know, we, to quote Eric Little from uh, Chariots of Fire, when we social distance, we feel God's pleasure. Um, you know, the, I think the introverts in our household are thrilled about this arrangement right now because it gives them reason to do what they've 
wanted to do their whole lives, which is to hole up with a book and to read and to get to do what you want to do on your own. So uh, I think it probably is hitting people in different ways. Um, you know, the thing that's really striking me about so much of this is how we are all as, as a community, both, I mean, my church up in Maryland and the seminary community, but really my whole neighborhood is really abiding by these mm -hmm. rules. I mean, you hear, I'm hearing some horror stories about the outliers of spring breakers in Florida or people who are just traveling around, even though they've tested positive. But as I look around, it's actually remarkable to me how we're all on the same page in at least in this DC area. I mean, have you guys noticed that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been thinking about that a little bit, just with even with our response as a as a seminary, how quickly um, everyone has just kind of, e even without ne necessarily a, a coordinated effort to that end, everyone's just sort of come to the conclusion, yeah, we need to protect our neighbor, we need to abide by these these rules, we need to make sure that people are doing okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been an encouragement really to see the social response. Yeah, you. It's remarkable. It is remarkable just how fast everything shut down. Actually, it was just a matter of a few days, and literally overnight, um, you know, all of a sudden, I didn't have to worry about tra traffic driving around. The the one day or so, I had to drive down to the seminary. No traffic. It was almost exactly two weeks ago that the president had the press conference. Tom Hanks said that he was diagnosed and the NBA shut down the rest of the season for public games. And it seemed like that was the turning point. That evening was the turning point. And after that, everything kind of moved pretty quickly and, and, and remarkably to me. Tommy, you cited on, on Twitter, you, uh, you put a link up to this article that was in The Atlantic that I thought was great by Garrett Graff um, yeah. called What Americans Are Doing Now is Beautiful. Can you talk a little bit about what he was arguing for and as a Christian, sort of how you were understanding that? Yeah, I mean, I came across that in my news feed and, I, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a fairly cynical person um, and and most of the news at that point was also fairly dark and that kind of came across and I, and, and piqued my interest. Um, and the argument there in that article was actually, you know, again, like without any sort of coordinated effort, um, people have just come to the conclusion that the best thing to do is care for their neighbor. And even at great personal sacrifice, um, um, care for the the elderly, care for those who are uh, who have kind of a predisposition to to harm here, and or to be harmed by this. And and I, I it was striking to me um, because you know in such a time of division, particularly uh, in our in our political spheres in, uh, in in the U.S. right now, to see kind of by instinct everyone just rally together around a common good. That was a great encouragement. What do we think about this? I want to move the conversation then to talking a little bit more about this idea of, of presence and the Christian doctrine of presence. I mean, the, the hard part about so much of this crisis right now is that it's pushing us against an opposite direction from our typical impulses you know our, our theological spiritual muscle memory 
isn't right in this case, right? We, we need to, instead of moving towards each other physically, we need to be moving apart from each other physically. And all the things that we believe about being embodied individuals, right, is, is all of a sudden coming to bear in this. So I'd like to ask you guys, how do you, how do you think about presence? And I don't want to get too theological, though I, we are seminary faculty after all. So, you know, it kind of, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, I suppose. But I also want to talk about what that looks like practically. How do we think about a theology of presence in a time of social distancing? And, and let me, uh, let me start off with Paul, because Paul's a pastor at a church, New City PCA, and so he's had to think about this for his congregation daily, you know, since this whole crisis began. Well, you know, I think actually about the Apostle Paul, because, as you know, he had planted so many churches, right? And even as he went from one church to the next, you can tell from his letters that his former churches were always on his mind mm -hmm. and he made clear to them that he continued to think and pray for them and learn about their spiritual well-being even in his physical absence and then whenever he had opportunity he would communicate that through a letter through a messenger and i think that that's actually instructive for how we can uh, practice presence right now even uh, in physical absence you know um I think that that basic practice of just trying to find out how your people are doing, right? And we have uh, a lot more tools available to us than the Apostle Paul. And then um, conveying care, conveying prayer. Um, in one sense, I was struck by how similar um, shepherding is now to what shepherding must have looked like for the Apostle Paul as he moved away from one church to another. And so for me and my elders, we have been doing exactly that. Uh, we have been trying to just stay in touch with people, listening to how they're thinking through the situation, but also conveying care, uh, having kind of um, evening prayers through Zoom, and I think that that has helped because people understand right now uh, that we cannot be physically together for all the reasons that we already stated. But I think it goes a long way to uh, make every effort, again, like the Apostle Paul, to keep in touch. And I think it conveys to you know, our people that we're not approaching this like a job in the sense that, well, we can't meet right now, so we, we just won't remain in contact, but instead, we really are approaching this in terms of family and doing everything possible to maintain communications. And so that's what we've been doing. That's how I've been thinking through this. And that's great. We were talking at our, at our family about Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians where, you know, he opens up and it's quite likely that he's, he's in some kind of imprisonment, perhaps yeah. even in, in you know, mm -hmm. under house arrest. And it just struck me how he's, he's giving, equal time to both the not being with them. He's lacking, he's longing for them. He's, you know, I give thanks to God for all of my remembrance of you. You know, that's Philippians 1.3. He goes on, he says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, he's yearning for them. And yet at the same time, 
He's remembering their partnership in the gospel. He considers them partakers in the gospel, even partakers with him of grace, even though they're separate and they're apart. And it just struck me how he sees the spirit at work, both personally within him and also through this kind of union with Christ that we all share that, you know, we share the spiritual DNA, even when we're not together, we can both, we can still be partakers in having fellowship in grace with each other. And that, that's just a, a beautiful picture that, you know, shows you how context changes your perspective. I've never thought about it that way until no. I was social distancing. Dr. Tommy Keene, another New Testament scholar. Thought. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about prayer too. Um, and particularly, you know, part of, I often get stuck in prayer. And when I get stuck in prayer, I pray the Lord's prayer, like I think many people do and use that as a guide. And, and I've been thinking about particularly, um, I wrote a little something about this recently uh, about um, just the, the first little line, um, our father who art in heaven and, and how we're instructed, you know, by Jesus, even at that, that first juncture, like Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray and he tells them how to pray by using, by praying in, in the plural. Um, and it reminded me of a quote from, from Witsius um, when he, he's talking about uh, our father and he says, uh, it, 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 that phrase, that little phrase, our father, it means that whenever uh, the person praying happens to be situated, wherever the person is, even though he may be alone, he must always pray in the plural number. Um, and and I, I just liked thinking about that, like even in those moments where I'm praying a private prayer, that I'm, I'm gathered with others. Um, and there, there is no, there, you know, because the father is the father of many children and we are bound together and we gather when, you know, we gather with a festal gathering and, uh, and angels in heaven. And, you know, we're always part of this body. We don't cease to be part of this body. Um, even in our prayers. So trying to both remember that positively, that my prayers, even at their most personal and most anxious and most individualistic, my prayers are corporate prayers. And then at the same time, to make my prayers less personally individualistic, to, to pray for, uh, for, for people far away, for people close by, for, for our, our students, um, for my family, for, you know, the, um, friends and, and neighbors. Um, and, and I've actually found that that even, even kind of hold up in our house, that that's, that that's felt more connected. It, it's helped me, not that the point is how we feel, but it's, it, it actually has helped me feel more connected to other people um, as a spiritual discipline. That's great. Where can people find that piece that you wrote? Where is that posted? Oh, uh, my, uh, I, I have a blog signandshadow.com. Not sure why it's called that, but it's, that's what it's called. <laughs> For another episode. We'll, For we'll another episode. Blog, blog names. Okay, great. Thanks. So they can look that up and they can find that piece on our, the Our Father there. Yep. Okay, check it's a nice, out. Yeah, nice. That was a very nice piece, by the way, Tommy. I enjoyed reading Thanks. that. Thanks. Dr. Lee, does the Old Testament tell us anything about presence in a time when you can't be present? It, it definitely, uh, I mean, the Psalms oftentimes describes uh, the isolation of the psalmist as they are going through, you know, sort of un, 
unspecified trials. Uh, and the Psalms, as you know, are filled with that. Um, in fact, um, you know, if you actually sit down and read uh, the the laments, these sad songs, uh, I'm, I guess I'm curious how surprisingly few of them are actually penitential. Uh, that is repentative sin. There's a few, of course, like Psalm 51, Psalm 32, and, and a few others, but the majority of them are are more outcries of the psalmist because of a particular trial hardship scenario. He doesn't ever specify what exactly, which is great, you know, because you can take what we're going through now and just sort of apply that in that psalm context and how isolated at times they feel. Um, they are stranded. They, they, uh, no one understands um, the uh, a, a sense of uh, being completely on their own. Um, and yet, in, in the midst of that, uh, it's so curious to see or, and wonderful to see how they don't look horizontally. You know, the Psalms are fantastic in the, in the vertical direction of the Psalms. It's, it's always upward. It's sort of the you know, Psalm 121, the, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Uh, from where does my help come? It's, it's so theocentric and that's so fantastic. Um, and, uh, and, and that's just such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I, at times, you know, it, it, at times like this, um, it, it's always so, such a refreshment in a tragic way uh, of just how fundamentally uh, simple our faith is. Uh, not easy necessarily, but the, the message is such a simple one. It, it is it is to be God-centered. It is to be Christ-centered. Uh, it is to trust, to to look towards God, to, to, to look towards Christ. Um, I mean, I obviously know there's a lot more uh, mechanics drawn out uh, than that, but uh, that simplicity is so profound and, and meaningful during times like this. Um, you know, uh, uh, where you cannot interact to a certain degree with uh, the presence of others. You are desperately in need uh, of what you've needed all along, and perhaps to a certain degree have never been in tune with. You, you are in desperate need of the divine presence. And the reality is, is that we have had that all along and have been somewhat uh, uh, neglectful of it. But now we're at a time where we, it's basically we depend on God or we die because right now we don't have anyone else to trust on. We, you know, other than family or kids or, you know, nosy neighbors who could care less, but still come over anyhow. Um, you know, it's, it's really, we, we really only have one divine source and, and um, uh, so much of our Christian unity, you know, and our union towards each other is, is, is only, you know, built on the fact that we are, united to each other because of our common faith in Christ. And uh, so the psalmists are, are filled are, are, and are fantastic. I mean, during now, this time of isolation, what a great time it'd be to read the psalms um, and just take, um, I don't know, four or five psalms. They're, some of them are so brief, but yet powerful and meaningful in their images and uh, in their vulnerability, uh, in how open and um, honest uh, they are in their outcries. Uh, now is a great time, I would think, to kind of renew our, 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 our love for, uh, for the Psalms. So yeah. that would be one place for sure it would definitely go.
I was thinking about Psalm 119 as you were talking, you know, and the way that the, the word of God is presented in this personified way that when the psalmist wakes up at night, the word of God is there to comfort him. And when he's on the road, the word of God protects him along the way. And, and it's this, you know, even, even some Jewish scholars have pointed out that there's this early um, personification of the word that might lie behind gospel teaching like what we find in John, you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was God. That this had already been intuited by the psalmist, you know, that, that God is with us when his word abides with us. And then that yeah. is anticipating the personification of the word in Christ, who is of course the perfect revelation of the father. So I keep, I keep thinking uh, of passages like that, um, during this time, as well as the passages is about the Lord being with the people when they are alienated, you know, in body in some way or away from him. I think of Jonah's prayer in Jonah two, his longing in the, in this, in the, in this experience of deprivation, his longing to look upon the sanctuary again. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and with Ezekiel, uh, with his, with his refugees, and exile longing to return but to return in the restoration community you know and that the lord has come out from the temple to be with them and these are those these kind of vivid pictures of experiences of alienation or experiences of separation from god and god's coming and being with us and being present with us both in you know very personal feeling ways and also in our longing to return and be with him again, right? Yeah. And that you get these pictures in the Old Testament that um, have, have new practical meaning uh, today in, in our context. And we're particularly thinking about being back together in the church, right? Being with one another right. in worship. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah I, I do. I, I do hope that a lot of the, the social distancing that we're doing is not something we go to get too comfortable with, uh, um, you know, you mentioned it and I've thought about, you know, it, it's almost as if like the, the church now because of this quarantine is kind of in exile. You know, we, we're not allowed to go to church. We cannot worship. Um, we, I mean, we still can, I mean, in a sense, uh, through a lot of the online stuff that the churches are doing, but we're not, there, there is no, there's the organic nature of worship is now gone. And I kind of wonder once the exile is over, uh, you know, and, and the quarantine's lifted and, and now the churches are open again. Um, uh, I'd like to think that there's going to be this sort of desperate uh, desire to, to go to worship, you know, to, to commune with uh, fellow believers in worship and, and that, uh, and, um, and, and how wonderful that'll be. I mean, you know, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great to see the churches just explode in attendance once this is over and to see churches quadruple uh, in terms of uh, what's normally been, I mean, you know, in smaller churches, I'm in the OPC, so quadrupling would be quite obvious and, and would be fantastic, you know, and so. If you did something wrong, Peter, if that happened. Yeah, I guess, you know, so, you know, there, you know, our, our strength is in our, our, is in our small, in this case, maybe just for a moment, for just a brief moment will allow sort of a, uh, uh, a moment uh, to, to to go against that, and so yeah, I think we do have a unique opportunity for the gospel these days. People are thinking about things they don't usually think about, 
and it gives us opportunity. Of course, the hard part is, again, finding creative ways to proclaim the gospel when we can't be near people in body. Well, Peter brings up an interesting point. Like right now, my impression is that, speaking just for the members of my church, they miss one another and they can't wait until we start meeting, right? But, you know, I remember the first time I missed church uh, when I was in college. And you know, my background was that I basically never missed church growing up. And so uh, the first time I missed church, I felt so guilty and so forth, right? But it was interesting that uh, the next week, even though I did attend church, for a brief moment, I entertained like not going. And um, I think that people can go through this thing of initially wanting to miss, you know, wanting to go back to church because they miss church and so forth. But I think that if this goes on for too long, yeah, I do wonder if people will get sort of used to just not going to church. And you know, already if you look at the statistics, um, there's one that Oxford University just published that for many, at least uh, young adults, they think that going to church twice a month is um, more than enough, that, that that's fine. And so I do wonder what impact, if any, uh, this might say break from meeting together will have on actual church attendance. That's an interesting point. It is a good point. I mean, I have to confess, you know, the last two Sundays that we, as we have done this virtual church at home, uh, there is a certain comfort there. Uh, you're with your family, you know, I can grab coffee anytime. Uh, you can kind of snack during the sermon. <laughs> um, it, it actually was uh, incredibly comforting. Uh, I think it's just so, it's so new. Um, and I wonder how long that'll last. And um, but I could see the 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 draw as the novelty, perhaps, of it. And and so it is. I don't know. Well, well, I guess that's one of the curious things we'll have to see. Yeah, there's a, a Christian. There's a spiritual discipline aspect to this that you break out of the habit, and you want to make sure you don't lose. You keep those those those. Um, you know, patterns in life that you become used to and you don't lose them. Uh, and at the same time, I hope that the spirit, you know, through our deprivation draws us closer together in the midst of all this. The first thing that I, uh, I, I was encouraged by, you know, the Atlantic article that you mentioned, we're, uh, we're all doing everybody banding together to do good. I was encouraged by that. And then my second thought was the, the cynical side of me kind of responded. Yeah. But for how long, um, and, and there is that that call, and I think we're getting at it here from the angle of church. Um, th there is that call to persist in doing good uh, and to to persevere in it. And to and I think of Paul uh, and his instruction: don't grow weary of doing good. And and I think we're kind of all wondering about that in some respects in terms of church as well. Like. Okay, there's this there's this good thing that we're engaged in of continuing to meet together even virtually, but at the same time remembering that it's not a replacement for the true gathering of the people of God for for physical and and close contact with one another and 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 that kind of thing, and we need to remember um, in this time to 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 persist in those spiritual disciplines that you mentioned, Scott, the 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 disciplines of grace 
they're simple and yet they're profound and powerful uh, ways in which Jesus meets with us, drawing near to the throne of grace uh, and, and meeting with our, with our Savior. I wonder if there's a certain um, <clears throat> irony to this as well. I mean, you know, our society has been so um, well documented as being individualistic and, um, you know, even in the church, uh, how rarely we think of the corporate community of the church, but always think of it's sort of me and Jesus type, type mentality. Um, which is why, by the way, I've always thought that um, the Borg in the Star Trek universe, you guys know what that is? Oh, yeah. They're this alien race that is sort of a collective hive. They, they don't believe in individuality you know everyone's part of the one collective mind and they just absorb different worlds and make them part of the collective you know what i'm talking about yep. what i i always thought you know they're a a evil villainous race and i thought that is such a perfect concept uh for our western society's idea to embody hell hell is a loss of individuality hell is just being part um of a corporate whole and not having any sense of your own self-identity um, and now here we have it in a sense, we're isolated, we're alone, and yet people are now reacting to it. And it's as if, you know, this is what you want. Now you've got it. You, you've got everything you wanted, and now it's not anything even close to what we thought it would be. And now we're clamoring to a certain extent with some type of uh, interaction, some type of desire to engage in, in any way possible. Social media, email, phone calls, text, whatever it takes uh, to be able to engagement even the term social distancing is almost uh, an oxymoron in terms of uh, how we put those two concepts together that are sort of conceptually at odds and so I, that's interesting you know, the 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 kind of you, you want radical individualism this is this is what it looks like it, it reminds me of um, of Wally uh, where where the where all everybody's they're all connected via some sort of social net network, but they they haven't really seen each other in in decades and things like that. And just the the reminder of no, we are a community. We are we are, we're individuals, but we're individuals that are gathered uh, and that are the uh, the family metaphor in scripture. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Um, we we are a a a gathered body of sisters and brothers uh, that that worship. For eternity um, and that is the beauty of, of the Christian faith well not to add my, my last science fiction uh, <laughs> illusion but it doesn't need to be the last one Paul if you've got one but I'm hoping that this is just like war of the worlds and we all wake up tomorrow and the birds have eaten the coronavirus <laughs> right but I'm not counting on it and uh, so we'll move forward into this uh, uncertainty. I would say, I think the book of Ecclesiastes is, is the book of the day. Who would have thought three days, three weeks ago rather, uh, that our springs would look like this? It, it does make me wonder, uh, you know, we can interact like this uh, uh, through the internet, uh, you know, texting and things of this nature. But there was a time when, um, you know, the church didn't have resources like this, and they were real serious life-threatening illnesses, the, the Black Plague, for example, and yet the church still needed to provide pastoral care. I, I'm curious, I guess, you know, for a pastor to go and visit the sick at that time was literally risking his own life. I mean, I think I recall uh, Kellen, for example, was prohibited 
by this by the uh, uh, the elders of his of his community to do that because they couldn't risk his being lost and becoming ill. Um, you know, I guess I, I guess I'm I cur I'm curious to know how how that was done back in the day. Uh, uh, you know, where pastoral care was done literally at the risk of your life. Yeah, um, you ended up at least in the first. I did a little bit of work on this long ago, but I, I do remember one point that in the in the main wave of the of the Black Death, um, the number of priests who were lost was just you know enormous, and of course it was the faithful priests who were lost. It was the ones who would actually go and be with people. There, it wasn't so much about the priests passing it on because they would live with those who were who were who were patients. Um, but they would get it, and you lost the faithful priests, you know, and the church actually was eviscerated in some ways Man. from the faithful folks because the, the wealthy who could go and hold up in their towers uh, and keep themselves from getting sick uh, were the ones who persisted. Now, of course, this is a different situation from that, and uh, that it's about passing it on and transmitting it, but it's, it's a good, it's an interesting vignette from church history as to how we think about it today. We have to be creative too, I think. Yeah. And it will be sacrificial. As we're going forward, let me ask you, first of all, and I'm just gonna go through each one of you, um, what are you working on now? And do you have any um, recommendations uh, for people who are sitting at home and maybe uh, particularly I'm thinking of RTS students, they've gotten through their class reading, um, and uh, and they're wondering what can I what, what should I be reading apart from that? Anything you'd encourage them to? Articles online, books that they should read. Um, Tommy Keen, go. Oh, I get to go first. Do I? Uh, <laughs> my uh, last two weeks, uh, we've been working really hard to get all the classes on RTS online. Um, and again, that's been actually a great encouragement just to see. You know, with, with something that is a big shift for a lot of people, students, staff, faculty, the the lack of complaint has been so encouraging, um, and everybody kind of mobilizing to make this to make this happen, even when it's it, it requires some some degree of sacrifice. So that's that's been my last two weeks, but it's now kind of e exiting that and thinking forward about how to uh, maybe get. Uh, back in doing some writing um, on the Lord's Prayer, uh, on biblical imagery, uh, things like that. Are, are I'm looking forward to kind of engaging those projects uh, again in the in the weeks to come. Um, in terms of reading, I just uh, got uh, the um, the book by on on prayer by um, uh, oh. Uh, John Stark uh, that just came out, and uh, I haven't started it yet, but um, uh, have have heard good things about it, and looking forward to 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 reading that. Great, thanks, Paul. What you got to recommend? What are you working on these days? Okay, so right now I just finished uh, writing a review for PastoralTissel.com. It's uh, it was on basically how the reformers read. Uh, various letters uh, of Paul, and um, it was interesting to see that they, I mean, there's so many parts of it that were interesting, but in a lot of ways, they were just like us. They were just trying to work with their texts. I think there are a lot of caricatures of the reformers, 
um, and they inevitably read the Bible in view of what was going on uh, in their time. And so I just finished writing that review. Uh, right now, I'm working on a popular commentary on Galatians, and um, I'm finishing an outline for a book on church planting that I've been working on for some time. I was able to teach much of the material in our recent church planting mm -hmm. course, and the material was received well. Uh, well, I think it was. One never knows. Um, but I'm working on those uh, two books right now. Um, Recently, I've been actually reading some interesting stuff. Um, three things that I've been reading recently. Uh, one is called High on God. It's uh, published, all of these books are published by Oxford University. And this book is really interesting because basically it challenges the notion that mega churches are really for uh, Christians that are not serious, or mega churches are basically churches that have sold out to. A watered down gospel. Um, it's an interesting book um, just because, uh, at least in the PCA, I think there is some suspicion towards mega churches. Um, the other book that I've been reading recently is uh, called Addicted to Lust. And, um, you know, it's just basically about how Protestants and, in particular, Presbyterians seem to struggle with lust in a unique way. And it's written by a group of sociologists. And uh, the analysis is interesting. Uh, one of the main points that the book brings up is that basically um, we, in, especially in a Presbyterian tradition, we tend to treat uh, lust, pornography as the exceptional sin. And um, so there are just a lot of parts of that book I'm thinking through uh, that have been interesting for me. And then um, I just finished reading The Happiness Hypothesis. I would recommend that to everyone. That book is just uh, really a survey of how uh, different traditions have thought about happiness um, throughout all part, parts of history and all over the world. And so it's, you know, the reason why I'm reading these books is in a strange way, they, help me to think through my commentaries uh, from a different perspective. And so uh, even though my Galatians commentary is obviously working uh, closely with the Greek text and in our reformed tradition, I just find that I gain a lot of insights by reading topics that seem like they're not very related. So um, those are some things I've been working on right now. That's great. That, that's all, that's all Paul. Yeah, that, that's it. You're slacking, dear friend. I, know. <laughs> I, I would, uh, I would, I would put in another plug. I think Jonathan Haidt on the High Happiness Hypothesis and the Righteous Mind are both super helpful uh, books on moral psychology. And uh, Peter Lee, friends listening at home can't see, but Dr. Lee is holding up uh, the, the book he just mind recommended. Yeah, in front of the screen. Yeah, no, it's. I think it's a profound book, and I think uh, you take the kernel of his idea, and he's he's basically arguing for an Augustinian type epistemology. <laughs> so um, that, that, that's something a little bit outside the field too, like the happiness hypothesis. I'd recommend. Go ahead, Dr. Lee. What are you working on, and what do you recommend? Well, I'm I'm trying to redeem the time. 
the um, now that I have a little bit of extra time, uh, you know, Scott, you mentioned something earlier about how to uh, share the goal with others during this time of very tricky. Uh, I decided, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to use this to kind of focus my attention on the ones that I'm immediately in contact with. That's that's my kids, my family, my wife. And um, as you know, uh, this is a very important Old Testament virtue. Uh, right out of Deuteronomy 6, you know, sort of the foundational passage in a lot of your thinking, uh, Scott, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and immediately afterwards is to teach your children essentially to do the same. Thinking requires us to uh, pass our faith on to our children and to really um, instill that love of God and the understanding of love God, God's love for them, you know, to, to our family. And so, uh, you know, because of the nature of my my pastoral side of what I do, uh, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of itinerary preaching. Uh, it's sort of the nature of what I do pastorally in the OP, uh, but it's required me to miss a lot of worship with my own family. So um, now, you know, I'm, I'm at home and I'm trying to use that time to really, uh, um, I guess, disciple my own children, my own wife. Uh, as you know, Claire just lost her father who just passed away about a, a week and a half ago and and that's been a challenging time because because of the nature of this quarantine we couldn't do an appropriate funeral and that was really hard on her um you know i can't expect their past our pastors to care for her right now i mean that's i got to do that and so uh so i'm trying to use do that really uh, uh help our my family our kids see what's going on here in a proper um theological context uh, and see the uh, uh, faith aspect to everything. Mm. Um, I'm jogging now a little bit, <laughs> trying to get some some weight lost. Um, some of the stuff I've read in, in addition to the Jonathan Haidt book that you mentioned, uh, which is a really intriguing read, um, uh, some other stuff that's been on my uh, list here. Uh, I enjoy reading biographies, and so uh, I've had one by uh, Herman Selderhouse on the life of Calvin, and I started reading that uh, actually a couple months ago. Uh, really nice read, um, where he really tries to deal with the life of Calvin, not necessarily the theology of Calvin, which is kind of tricky because his life it wasn't nearly as flamboyant and as as radical as like Martin Luther um, and so uh, but still very meaningful and and so that's been really intriguing to see the intricacies of his thoughts on on the life of Calvin um, another thing is um, I'm a year late <laughs> with this one but as you know last year was the um, the uh, I think it was the 500th year anniversary of the Canons of Dort um, and uh, there was a lot of publications on Dort with that, and uh, there was one book written by my teacher, uh, Bob Godfrey, entitled Saving the Reformation, um, and it, it's basically his book, uh, his commentary on the canons of Dort with his own translation of the original Latin, and um, and it's it's been a great uh, clear, refreshing read on very clear, systematic theological thoughts um, and and some of his thoughts on he has a, a a bunch of appendices and one of them is sort of uh, 
uh, reevaluation on the life and theology of, uh, of Arminius. Uh, he's not nearly as gracious to Arminius as uh, some of the contemporary uh, historians are on Arminius, and I uh, and 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 I've learned a lot actually uh, uh, by reading that and or rereading that. And then finally, um, I'm embarrassed to admit this: uh, I, I've never read all the Harry Potter books. Um, I've I've watched all the movies, you know, but. Um, uh, so I've decided to uh, do some Harry Potter reading. So I've done a lot of flying. I've just been reading <laughs> Harry Potter books on the those long flights. And so those are some of the stuff I've been I've been reading. Uh, in terms of writing, um, I was asked to contribute. Uh, you know, with the this Parasite movie winning uh, the uh, Best Picture award in the Academy Awards recently, uh, has seen just an explosion of a lot of interest in the. Uh, Korean American communities in in all things Korean American, and now there is a publishing project uh, being done by a few friends of mine on uh, Presbyterianism the, in in the contemporary Presbyterianism in the Korean Church. So they asked me to contribute a chapter on the covenants and uh, in the Korean American Presbyterian Church. So uh, I'm working on that. Um, I've been doing some work on the Abrahamic Covenant, as some of you know. Uh, so now, hopefully, I'll be able to make some progress on that. Uh, those are some of the bigger, or some of the immediate writing projects. Truthfully, I'm still writing grade, and I'm still trying to figure out how to get my classes, uh, current classes, um, available in the best way possible uh, to students. And so, um, so that's that's what I'm doing. Very great, thanks, Peter. You got you got quite a lot going on as well. I know all of us have been trying to get these classes online. Tommy's taken sort of the he's taken the lion's share of sort of the institutional work in that regard. But all of us are having to think through how we get things online. So I've been spending a good bit of time doing that. Um, in terms of my writing, uh, I'm working on an Ezekiel commentary, and so I feel like I've just been basically reading Ezekiel commentaries and other work related to Ezekiel. Uh, Ian Duguid's commentary uh, in the NIV application series is great, very redemptive historical. I've actually also really enjoyed Paul Joyce's commentary. He's a lecturer in Old Testament at Oxford. And um, I just think it's a very well-written, he, he doesn't have the same evangelical commitments that I do, but I think it's very well-written and insightful. He understands the text, he, 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 he articulates it well, and I'm, I'd recommend that one as well if you're looking for something outside of the tradition. Um, really, apart from Ezekiel commentaries, though, the books that I've been reading um, don't really pertain so much to my field. I've, I've been in the uh, been reading two history books. One of them is the Evangelicals. This actually came out a few years ago. Um, it's by Francis Fitzgerald. And it did quite well. It's kind of a history of evangelicalism starting back in the Puritan movement and working its way up. And it's just catching me up on American church history because my knowledge of American church history is so lacking. Uh, I've also been reading this recent um, biography of Churchill called Churchill Walking, uh, I was walking in Destiny, Walking with Destiny, at Destiny by um, Andrew Roberts. And it's an excellent biography. I, I feel like I'm late to the Churchill game. Everyone has read, uh, seems as if everyone's read two or three biographies of Churchill. This is my first. 
and it's it's kind of well known. It came out just this last fall, but it's well known because it includes a lot of documentation, particularly his relationship with the throne, um, and uh, and just some documentation that hadn't been available to previous biographers. I haven't got gotten to that section yet. I'm still in his sort of early political life, and it is striking how how directional he was, how ambitious he was, even in his early life, trying to, um, you know, basically create a situation in which he could make his father proud by being a, a politician of some repute. And um, the things that happen in his life that kind of lead him to that and how every decision he's making is, is driving him in that direction. It, it's interesting to see the human side of a person like Churchill, who we all know and quote so regularly. Um, I will throw out one, one other recommendation that's way outside of the field. This is a fiction uh, book that I feel as, as if because of, because of Kindle, I now read novels again, which I had stopped doing for a long time because I just didn't have enough space in my bag to carry around books. But uh, this is a sci-fi trilogy. It's by a Chinese author named Zhijin Liu. Um, I will no doubt be um, butchering the correct pronunciation of that name, but it's called The Three-Body Problem. That's the first book in this trilogy. And I would say it's, I, I don't read a ton of science fiction, but it is, it's just a wonderfully complex tale. Uh, the world building is really phenomenal and it raises all kinds of fun philosophical and even theological questions. Um, so I'd recommend that to you if you're looking for some escape here in a time of quarantine, um, the Three Body Problem trilogy. You'll be able to read it for the next four months or so because each book in the trilogy is immense. Um, but those are my recommendations. And uh, I would say with this podcast, keep an eye on this space um, as a faculty. We want to take advantage of this time of not being together to find a reason to get together. And this is giving us that. And it also gives us a reason to stay in touch with those in the RTS community, both as students or just people who are kind of within the sphere of RTS Washington to uh, keep up some of that personal presence that we've been talking about um, over the course of this conversation. So please keep an eye on this space. Um, we're thinking about you all and we're praying for you all. And uh, until next time.